The subject for this evening's talk is global interconnectedness. I would say that about a year ago, that is during last year and the year before, there came about a small but significant change in awareness in the consciousness of a number of people and this was to some degree expressed through the media, through television, through radio, publications and newspapers and articles. And I think what this change represented was that the world that we live in is in a way no longer safe in our hands owing to the way that we live. And various information came to light during the last year or two which seemed to indicate that in no uncertain terms. There was the realization of the greenhouse effect due to the release of numerous uh, chemicals and various other emissions into the atmosphere which then becomes like an umbrella and that umbrella stops the air being released and begins to have an effect, a direct effect on the quality of life and that we are in a way in danger of suffocating ourselves and the planet there came about the information too that there was a hole in the ozone layer which protects us from the ultraviolet rays of the sun and that this hole in the ozone layer first discovered in the Arctic was much larger than previously had been thought and in fact had grown to the size of the US. Further holes were then being discovered and there's a concern of a general thinning of the ozone layer. The scientists report to us that if the ozone layer thins by as much as 5%, skin cancer alone will triple. We see too that on the very earth itself, the widespread destruction taking place of the tropical rainforests at such a, a devastating rate that the size of West Germany was deforested in Amazonia alone last year. This having a significant effect on the, green, the greenhouse effect. We saw too that the climate changes seem or appear to be already underway. I think only last year or the year before in the US, 27% of the wheat crop didn't survive because of the high temperatures, some of the highest temperatures recorded in that part uh, of the states. We saw too how there have been huge famines, hurricanes and massive changes in the climate. Since the records began of recording global climate, which has been just throughout the last century, the hottest years on the earth have been 1984, 85, 86, 87 and 88. So this information began to gradually permeate consciousness. People began in a small way, began to 
wake up, as well as all the widespread devastations from the huge tragic oil spill by Exxon in Alaska, to the, the rivers and seas which is dying, to the poor quality of, of water supplies, to the massive widespread abuse of environmental resources. This, apart from factors in the nature, is certainly the human factor is a factor and some of us suspect it is, it is a considerable factor. Such a considerable factor that in global interconnectedness with regard from the present to our conceptions and our thoughts of the future, what we see and what we begin to understand is that we are not leaving the earth safe for our children and for our grandchildren. So then we begin to see from the variety of sources of information which has and does become available to us, what we notice in that, that the image inside of ourselves in facing this kind of information can be, one, that the information itself, the global words, the global images and metaphors which we use can be such that the world issues, the global issues, seem so vast, so big, and in the contrast of that, I seem so small and so insignificant and irrelevant. And what we notice with that is that the feeling of I, the feeling of, of me, seems quite powerless in the face of such large global issues. And I think that response, that feeling, that intimation of the powerlessness of I and me is an appropriate response in the light of the situation. I don't think it's an illegitimate <coughs> one or an or a off-centre one, I think it's a very understandable one. But it's understandable, as I've said with many things in these talks, during the days, it's understandable in that way of relating to information. Then we begin to see with this information and sometimes in the powerlessness of I, we begin to identify with its condition, I feel like this, what can you do, it's too late now, it's, it's God's will, Humanity is just plain plundering and destructive. All, all the various expressions which come in with the feelings and thoughts which accelerate the feeling of helplessness and from helplessness it's a very, very short step to despair. And then we look at this situation and we see that what very easily occurs in just giving consideration as people do in global interconnectedness, we start to give some consideration to our lifestyle, the, the prosperity of the West, the, the, the wealth of the West, the use of resources of the West. And sometimes we look back at our past or we look at our present and very easily we can begin to feel 
as we sense a global connectedness with the third world, we can begin to feel rather bad about our situation, rather negative, guilty, for having so much when so many have so little when 40,000 children every day die from malnutrition. And unfortunately and tragically with that, when we're feeling guilty and bad and in that kind of mood, in that kind of mind state, it tends to trigger and it tends to accelerate inside of ourselves an increasing degree of insecurity, an increasing degree of unhappiness and that despair which accompanies it. And we know, we know in our daily life when we are experiencing that in the forms that we experience it, human beings can't tolerate despair, can't tolerate unhappiness, know there is something, as it were, off-center about it. And what happens? When we're feeling that, we then start rushing to the world of things the world of sensations, the world of pleasure, the world of having, the world of trying to be secure or whatever, and then we accelerate the problem. The very guilt, the very sadness, the very insecurity doesn't liberate us, it tends to continue it. And we wonder, how are we going to find the capacity in ourselves and the strength inside of ourselves to look at situations, to be ruthlessly honest with one's lifestyle and all the lifestyle mentality that goes with it, without being feeling exhausted, bad, negative, guilty, because it doesn't help. So I think the intimations of helplessness from self is an appropriate response. And therefore, if it is an appropriate response to that, what, there is an appropriate response because it intimates to us our unrelatedness. It tells us in that thought and experience, I am separate from those events. Those events are so big, loom so large in the world, and I as a human being feels so small and there is that separation and in separation there, is, there has to be powerlessness. And therefore the sense of powerlessness is the sense of self which is in isolation. Then we begin to look and we're beginning to notice and I think very importantly and very appro appropriately and I think there's a, an increased yearning of, the, of our hearts in our world to sense and find ways towards another kind of understanding, another way of being in the world. And what we noticed, and it was mentioned this afternoon in the go-round, and I want to talk a little bit about the go-round because I, I think it says a lot, of, a lot about global connectedness, that we're beginning to bring into our language, and I think these teachings are a very significant message of understanding these themes and liberation through these themes. That in the language which we are beginning to use, we're beginning to use language which reflects relating, which reflects connectedness. 
instead of the language of self-other. Sometimes we'll use it when we see that human beings or a group of human beings perhaps unwittingly have conspired together to form a painful situation. So sometimes the language which is being used, and it's quite a, it's a relatively new language, is the language of codependency. And I think it's a very insightful, a very profoundly insightful theme that psychotherapists are using. Because I think what that is contributing to is an understanding that we can't blame an individual. We can't say this individual is the cause of his or her situation because individuals is only a concept. Relating, relatedness, and those invisible lines of relatedness form situations. So there's a great deal of exploration taking place in the theme and in the thread of codependency. And how through codependency, not just two people, not just, a fact, not just a family, not just a group of people in community or whatever, but codependency in a wider scheme as well as in the um, immediate schemes contribute to a set of circumstances which make something happen. So when we're speaking these days of codependency, this very, I think, very profound theme of exploration, I think, in a way, it helps us to understand what goes on in relatedness rather than pinpointing, it's your problem, you get out of it. And I think the message which is being communicated to us, in a way, we all make it happen. And then one has the language... So that might be codependency, that language might be the language of concern around painful arising. We think of it generally in terms of painful arising. But then, in interconnectedness, both immediate and global, we might speak in more neutral terms, such as in the Buddhist tradition, dependent arising. Not necessarily painful, not necessarily wonderful or joyful, but, but neutral. In other words, meaning between the two, in which we see in the world that we live in, as was, has been said a number of times, events take place because there is the activity, the relatedness, which form an event. Just like you and I being here. When we look, what does it mean to be here? What is a retreat? We just take that word and we that word becomes a kind of globalizing, a generalizing of this. But then we ask, where, where is the retreat? Now, is, it, is the retreat just sitting with the body in this shape? But it can't be. Some people need to lie down, some people need to use the armchair or use the sofa. Is the retreat a lot of people facing the same direction? Well, if that's the case, we, then might be at one of your football matches and that would be described as a retreat. Where is the retreat? So there's the word which is used for a situation which is dependently arising. Tomorrow m morning, probably at seven o'clock more or less, the retreat is somewhat going to be gone. 
And in order for this uh, retreat to arise, in order for this form to be, it requires dependent arising. It requires all cooperation. So if one person in here decided, well, I think what I'll do in here, I'll put the music on and I'll jump up and down and sing and I'll turn the books over and have a really good time, what would have happened to this retreat? <laughs> Somebody said, my retreat is gone, it's been ruined. So retreat is really a word which is a shorthand for dependent arising in a set of circumstances. And when we actually look for the retreat here, there, actually we can't find it. <laughs> so you think you've been on a retreat, don't you? <laughs> All right. So sometimes we speak of codependency with the associations quite appropriate around that. Sometimes we think of dependent arising, but the associations around that. Sometimes we think of interconnectedness, interrelatedness. So that may bring another kind of response, a response of, yes, we are together, yes, we are connected. And there possibly in that the associations will be warmth, unitive, oneness, not painful, not in between joyful or pleasant and painful, but more a joyful or wondrous feeling, interconnectedness, interdependence. What each of those three does, and I think this is very beautiful for the whole international green movement, for the remarkable spiritual insights and to its everlasting credit emphasized in the best of the Buddhist uh, traditions, is that interconnectedness, interrelatedness, codependency, dependent arising, is moving a shift away from consciousness, of consciousness, away from the self-other preoccupation and obsession. Going, moving away from thingness, away, away from selfness, away from uniqueness, away from individuality and all that's been built up to one of relating, co-arising being together. Now, this message, this teaching has not only personal significance using personal in its most relative way, but also its significance is such that it goes personal, social, it goes sp spiritual, but it goes further than that. The teachings then go economic. There's a whole need of awakening in economic considerations on the theme of dependent arising and it's barely been touched, even by the Green Movement, which I love with my whole heart. Because at the present time, in interconnectedness, economics by and large, generally speaking, does not consider the cost to the environment. Economics is based on human considerations, capitalist, socialist, liberal, communist, basically on human considerations. Such human considerations that we see in China 
that in all the efforts to try to curb the use of fossil fuels and the resources and all the poisons that are released into the air, the Chinese government is planning a massive expansion of its coal produce during with enormous cost. We see in America tremendous cost to people and planet because economic considerations, i.e. profit, do not take into consideration the cost to people and planet because profit is God. Profit matters above all else. And with such an icon haunting humanity in our contemporary world, we need a shift to, to change, to move away from that in which with our wonderful scientific resources now, inner observations, understanding, we begin to sense the connectedness, the cost. I think this work which we are uh, in, engaged in, in, un, in moving away from selfness to cooperation, to interrelatedness and interconnectedness, is of such significance that I think we as the living generation have an opportunity here and perhaps the first time in, in, in the history of humanity to dissolve the apparent divisions which exist between what is called inner work and inner life and inner change and inner enlightenment and the outer. I think we have an opportunity to dissolve those kind of breakups and the separations in which one part, so-called, of our life gets alienated from another part. And I think, I think the Dharma community, international Dharma community and concerned men and women have an opportunity, a marvellous opportunity with the resources, human resources between us to really re-evaluate what it means to live the spiritual life. What it really means in globalness. Let us, let us take a small example. Very, uh, I think one which really impresses itself on, on myself. Some of you here, as we heard in the go-round this afternoon, have had the opportunity to be in the third world. Certainly we have immense poverty in, in the West and we see this in countless forms and we see immense poverty, devastating poverty in the third world. We also see that, that the West itself, us, and sometimes California has a, almost sometimes a common, I think, international image. When people mention California, it's almost synonymous with prosperity. It's almost synonymous with being in the forefront of many areas of life. It's synonymous with prosperity, but it's synonymous with exploration. It's synonymous with remarkable insights which are coming out. Some of the literature which comes out of America is coming straight out of some of you people here and elsewhere and is having influence on many of our lives. I mean, every time I come to uh, 
stay here in uh, San San Francisco in the, the Bay Area without a change over these throughout the 80s I make pleasurably and delightfully my pilgrimage to Telegraph Avenue <laughs> to go to the various bookshops and every time I say to myself actually I don't need to buy any more books and every time I walk away with books and these books give me immense nourishment throughout the year and you're hearing some of the contents in the talk tonight. <laughs> so in this looking and in the situation which, which is here, there is a message of prosperity. It's a message, a generalised one in the West. But what is happening, and it's a very important thing what is happening, is that more and more people, such as ourselves in this room together, are questioning the whole philosophy of consumerism. We're questioning it. We're using, hopefully, some of the re insightful resources, a different idea of resources here, to help bring in a focus about the way we live, the quality of our life. What I noticed in my first visit back to Thailand since disrobing, as I disrobed in 76, I went back in 1988 to meet with friends, teachers and so forth, and I met with various people, including Sulak Sivaraksha, who's on the board, as I am on the Buddhist Peace Fellowship, who's doing remarkable work to implement what we are talking about here in a political reality and has been called up before the military tribunal, was facing 33 years imprisonment for what he had written, and through the international Dharma community and various lawyers and amnesty, he was the government set him free. And Sulek was saying to me in the conversation with him that because concerned people are really taking notice of what meditation is, what awareness is, what dependent arising is, what the Four Noble Truths are. People in Thailand are beginning to look, as it were, over their shoulder and say, wait a minute, maybe we don't have to keep imitating the West. Maybe we don't have to live such a frenetic, frantic, consumerist lifestyle. Maybe our tradition is offering something which we can learn from. When I was a, a monk, there were about a hundred of us at the peak time, a hundred monks, Thai monks and uh, myself as the Westerner, engaged in the practice. A year ago, a year or two ago, my teacher Ajahn Damodaro in his monastery just out uh, four hours outside of Bangkok in a small uh, in a village outside of the town of Supambury, gave a retreat, even a retreat taking place in Thailand is an import from the West. Concept was never even heard of before. <laughs> he gave a retreat. 800 monks and nuns sat that retreat. So there's this movement taking place. We do, like it or not, we have a connectedness with the rest of the world. We have been set up of models of success which is the biggest cosmic joke on the planet. And <laughs> this relationship means that we influence. And so what the Greens are putting out, what 
people who love the earth are putting out, what people who sense it's not a question of self and individualism, but the nature is interrelated, is dependent arising. What we are putting out is, we're putting out a message of post-consumerism. It's no use saying post-industrialism because industrialism and technology and that is here and it's here to stay. But consumerism through collective awarenesses is going to serve all of us. Post freeing ourselves from consumerism. And that takes fresh mindfulnesses, fresh awarenesses, fresh ones. It's not enough to be a mindful, conscious person and think that's what the Dharma teachings are. It is a travesty if we are thinking in this way. It's a travesty if we're thinking when we leave here, that if I'm mindful through the day, then I'm keeping my practice. As the Buddha said and said a number of times, never be satisfied, lovely statement, never be satisfied with anything less than the best. And the best is awakening. The best is liberation. The best is heart which sees and understands interconnectedness and the liberation in that understanding. For example, when you go to the supermarket and you walk in there and you experience the supermarket, one could go around mindfully piling one thing on another, you know, getting to the <laughs> checkout with a mountain of goods. But look at the way it works. It won't be surprising if it's anything like in England. The first thing you clap eyes on when you walk in is fruit. Stuck right there as you enter. Why do they stick it there? Because the supermarket wants to give an idea of freshness, organic nature. And then you walk into the supermarket and they say, I will buy, I-E-Y-E -E will buy. So many of the goods which are the biggest sellers are at eye level in the supermarket because that's where your eye will go to. And then as you walk around the supermarket and you see the multiple number, there are staff there. What's the staff's job? To keep the shelves as full as possible. Because if the shell isn't full, it means your eye has to look a bit further to see the item. So they want the, sh the goods on the very edge of the shelf, always looking full, so it's always close to you. The supermarket has one function. Not really to supply your needs, that's part of the mythology. The function of the supermarket is to touch into your desire. It's to get you to buy what really you don't want and you don't need because that's where the profits are. So sometimes you go into your local supermarket and you think, and you know it quite well, you've been in, in there, you could sleepwalk your way through it, which we usually do, and you go through to your usual place and the goods have been moved. They used to be there, but now the supermarket, after a pie, have moved it somewhere else. Why? So you have to go and look for them. And while you're looking for them, you'll probably see something else which you really think you need. So you end up walking out of the place with far more goods than what one intended, and the supermarket is saying, 
profits are up this year. Without consideration to the specifics of the content sometimes on the box, without consideration to the, the location where they came from, without consideration that the supermarket has used its marketing techniques to exploit you. So when we speak of mindfulness and awareness and spirituality, when we're speaking of interrelatedness and interconnectedness in life, we're speaking about it with street credibility. Not as some high-flown spiritual fancy philosophy of Buddhism, we're speaking about it on the earth. And I think if we can explore that and see the, see into that and understand and, and work, work with that, I think it challenges us. And I think when we are challenged as human beings to really look, to really see, as that, that Tibetan uh, Lama was quoted in the Himalayas, some people come to just look, 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 look. And you know, in the Himalayas, people come to look. And the trails to the foot of Mount Everest is littered with rubbish. Ten or fifteen years ago, this area was beautifully untouched. What a precious wilderness. And the tourists have moved in en masse in their trails. And the forests are, forests are being destroyed left, right and centre. And the people are walking miles to get some wood. And along the, along the trails, plastics and boxes and cartons and this just dumped. Tragic. That's just tragic. So we, I think we, when we are challenged and to really explore and really look and to be well informed about these things and to go into these things, I think it brings the best out of us. The best is awakening. On our own, I think we're stuck. So what I have found for myself in this, and having some realisation, some awakening, which I think is an unfolding process, not a, a one-off event, that interconnectedness matters in new ways. The interconnectedness of liberation and love in, for life means that when we say, I see this situation, I'm concerned about this. I want to transform, I want to understand what it is to be liberated from consumerism. Then we need to connect. We need to give each other support. Just as in our days here, look how, look how we've lived. Look at the quality of living we've had here together. The amount of possessions has been very small, very minimal in the days that we've been here. We've just been sitting, walking, standing, reclining, just eating nutritious food, just being respectful and listening to each other, just feeling the sights, the sounds, the smells, the taste, just touching upon our experiences, hearing and warming to each other, being challenged by each other. All this is interrelatedness, interconnectedness, codependency, dependency arising, all being revealed in the process. I think when we, when we are challenged, I think that kind of challenge brings the joy out of us. 
It brings something else. So just as we had the go-round today, during the go-round, it's not easy. For some, some of us, we're so used to speaking, it's, it, it's harder not to speak than to speak. <laughs> <laughs> Mention no names, Christopher. So, and with others, that there is a comfortableness with that. But for some, going up Mount Everest alone would be an afternoon tea party. <laughs> but speaking in front of a group would, would be a Himalayan task. And when human beings can give each other the love and give each other su the support so that those people who feel frozen by a situation, actually move, actually say what's appropriate for them, move through that fear. I think this is interconnectedness, this is support at work, this is the best of dependent arising beginning to take place, this is awakening going on. And even though when doing it, one says afterwards, oh, I should have said that. And then when he's at the very end, I just want to add that, whatever. And so others are thinking, oh, I should have added on as well. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes there's dependent arising, and sometimes there seems to be dependent non-arising. <laughs> And what I think is significant in this, and important, in the larger scheme of interconnectedness, the voices of the people who experience fear in this world is the voices which need to be heard. And I say that because let me give you a very good example, what could be better. Joe Gorin's also on the BPF board, Buddhist Peace Fellowship, who just been to the retreat in, in Barrie, Massachusetts. Two days before the retreat, he was in Guatemala. He was accompanying people who are threatened by the death squads. Two days, bef the days bef immediately before the retreat, he was with a person whose brother had been murdered by the death squads, and the death squads weren't sure if they were looking for, got the right person, or whether it was the brother they were really look, wanted. So the brother, his wife, and children were under threat, and Joe was staying in the home of this person, because as an American, with an American passport, it gives some protection, because the, the forces of darkness, the forces of the secret police, don't want international outcry. So the very passport itself was giving some protection. So then they had to move from one safe house to another. There are a number of people, Christians, there, and Joe said, would some of you visiting Guatemala, seeing the conditions, said, would some of you like to accompany us to give more support, because we've got to move this family from one safe house to another. So they went, they rushed them out of the safe house, they put them in the back of the van, the family covered the blankets over with them, and then drove to another safe house. 
and in going to another safe house, they wait, drove around that safe house several times, making sure that there was nothing suspicious going on, and then very quickly as possible, moved them, that family into that safe house. Why? Because in spite of the fear, they spoke up. Despite of the fear of life, of persecution, imprisonment, cruelty and possibly death, the, in spite of the fear, some human spirit spoke. And I think every time we see in ourselves where there's fear and we give support to each other and to that man and that woman who is learning to speak up and come out of those fears, I think that's a voice for, for change. It, because people live in the shadow of fear for past circumstances and present circumstances. And so it's not only liberating ourselves from consumerism, it's liberating ourselves from fear as well. In our giving consideration to connectedness and global connectedness, I think a very important and significant aspect of this is this interrelatedness. In other words, if we focus too much on codependency and all that it means in global and personal situations, we may get, as it were, bogged down in that. So our freedom in looking at connectedness is also to look at the wonder of interconnectedness, to see this dependent arising in which thingness is not so nothing of itself. As I've said many times in this retreat, thingness is, is an idea, is a, is, comes about in part due to the repetition on, of a word about a situation. And if we can just come out of the myth of thingness and separation and individuality to relatedness, interconnectedness, then I think something else can begin to happen in inwardly. The intimations, we might say, of something other than all of that. In that respect, in spite of every, everything, human beings coming together, being together with the solidarity which comes from being together, is an opportunity for joyful expression. And joy is the child of freedom. So one has, for example, the projects that are taking place in the Bay Area. One of them is Spirit Rock, you know, with this wonderful history to it of being a sac regarded as a sacred area in which the money for the purchase is being used for tropical rainforests, in which is a wonderful expanse of nature and a growing number of people who are committing time and energy. And it becomes a way of people meeting together. And out of that, much hard work, for sure, much difficulty, but other events, the inner events of joy and connectedness, begin to show themselves through that. In that, we might say, but what does that mean with regard to ultimacy? What does interrelatedness and interconnectedness mean with regard to a transcendent understanding, to 
to liberation. And I think when we give consideration to that and to the relativity of the, the way of things in the world and the relationship of things in the world, I think there are things which sometimes we neglect, sometimes we overlook. Let us take for example. Sometimes we have the view, first I need to get enlightened, I need to get awakened, I need to get liberated, and then afterwards I can do something, I'll be ready to do something. <coughs> the actuality is, there may not be a world left to do anything for if we cherish this posture. The other is, when we look at life, when we speak of the future, which is not of self, but the interrelated future, like our children and our grandchildren, and the countless numbers of species which are threatened, and the whole future of our planet. For me, personally, it, it's not the motivating factor. Interrelatedness and interconnectedness is not the motivating factor, insofar as it it's with regard to the future. Because as I said at the beginning of this retreat, and I want to say it at the end of this retreat, I regard the whole body of teachings as here and now. Regardless of what the future is, short or long, or interpretation of it, the actuality is there are human beings, we are on the earth, and there is the immediate potential and possibility right now for immediate awakening and liberation. So I'm not concerned with just continuity of life on earth just for its own sake. As much as I love relatedness, because I see that very easily that view leads amongst concerned people and activists, it leads to stress, it leads to burnout, it leads to fear, about how it will be, and it drains us. So I think the whole body of teachings, spiritual, social, psychological, economic and political, all matter right now. It's, all of it is a, a body of here and now teachings. When we look at that and consider the interrelatedness, if we understand, if we really get a sense for that, if we meditate on that, if we dwell on that, if we give consideration to dependent arising, to codependency, if we really do that, I think in a diff different ways, there one of the factors will, there will be a revelation. That's my faith. There will be one awakening which will be clearly outstanding. If we really understand the heart of the teachings, the teachings of awakening, the teachings of the Buddha, and that is if we speak of self, which is fine to do, as said many times, what we will understand is that self and other matter equally. If there is liberation, if there is a awakening, if there is an intimation of it, even not in its fullness, this understanding of self and other as being essentially the same nature. 
the same immediacy of dependent arising, it will mean that if we're speaking of awakening, we're speaking of liberation, we're speaking of freedom, it's not freedom for me. Understand? It's awakening. It's liberation. It's freedom. It's, it's joy. Because self and other matter equally. And in a rather mysterious and wonderful way, the awakening, the awakening of one is the awakening of all, the awakening of all is the awakening of one. So this me first, then after the world, I don't think we have to ex acknowledge or buy this model. Because we can't be out of the world and then go back into it. Not even in the monastery could one be out of the world and go back into it. Not even in the time when I was sitting in the cave with all the creatures and the nature around me could I be out of the world and then go back into it. So it's the awakening, in a way, is inseparable from dependent arising. And so awakening is inseparable from the nature of things. And it's in that inseparability of that, in that liberation of it, then it's effortlessly revealed that other is no different from self, and self is no different from other. And when it's like that, how can one not want to give? It's not a question of serving others and doing up for others as though they were separate from oneself, as though they had some separate entity. But in a rather wondrous way, serving others, that idea is, even that idea, as beautiful as it is, is gone. There's no others to serve. Not me doing for you. Just, that's just an old way of looking. And one could just as equally say, serving others is serving oneself. Giving to others is giving to oneself. Being with others is being with oneself, because interrelatedness reveals that to us. So when we go into the supermarket and we see this good is from South Africa, and we know that our brothers and sisters in the black community of South Africa have said to us in the West, please don't buy South African goods because it's the economic factor will shake the South African government in its reign of oppression and confinement of the black community. And if when we understand connectedness, we'll say, this our brothers and sisters have asked of us, so, I see South African label, I don't want to buy this, because I believe in connectedness. So our relatedness and our connectedness doesn't mean that we become, as it were, hardcore politicos. What it does mean for us, that we begin to feel that connectedness. And we feel and sense the freedom and the revelation of what that means. And this, then, is called compassion. 
Sometimes we think, finally, we think of compassion. Compassion as being a feeling which we experience in the heart in a moment. It can be, but generally it's a feeling of pity, a feeling of sympathy, perhaps that kind of feeling. What I say is, if we are to use words as compassion, I say compassion is in the action. In the moment of action. Then I say I call this compassion. Not beforehand. So, in a way, wisdom and compassion are as inseparable from each other as wood and trees. The realization of interdependency and the emptiness of independent self-existence is inseparable from liberation and awakening. So our teachings are not a teaching of isolation, they're not a teaching of getting out of the world, they're not a teaching of ending birth and rebirth and, and all of that package. It's the teachings of awakening through the understanding of emptiness of independent self-existence. Of the understanding of dependent arising and in that understanding self and other matter equally. And I think perhaps in this way we pay respect to all life. May all beings live in peace. May all beings live in harmony. May all beings live in peace and harmony. So let's have a couple of quiet minutes together, please.